It's on page 1052 of your church Bibles. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his, his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray as we come to God's word again this morning? Father, we thank you that you are a holy God. And not for nothing is your word called the Holy Bible. Help us, therefore, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest in such a way that honors you, that you, by your power of your Holy Spirit, may direct and rule our hearts and minds and lives. So bless us, please, Lord. Amen. So we continue in our series at the beginning of this year on um, a book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Having come to the end of our first year of mission, I say first because mission never ever stops, we come to a year of um, discipleship and growing in our knowledge of Christ. Fortnight ago, we looked at Alive in Christ in the first half of this chapter that was the second half read a few moments ago. Next Sunday, a new freedom, and the following Sunday, a new confidence. And then we continue in Ephesians through until Christmas time. So today, the second half of chapter 11, you might like to have your Bibles open at page 1174, A New Identity. We need to recognize at the beginning that Paul was writing to this young church in Ephesus who were mainly Gentiles. There was, as we understand from the Gospels and the Epistles, a huge chasm of difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews looked down on everybody else as being inferior to them. There was almost hatred 
between Jew and Gentile hasn't changed much today. So Paul writes, remember who you are, Gentiles. You were separate from Christ, excluded from Israel, foreigners, without hope, without God in the world. Most of us this morning, if not all of us, are Gentiles. But you and I, for 2,000 years since the Gospel were written, don't feel the division between us and the Jews. But don't lose the drama of what the Apostle is writing. And he goes on, but now, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Where there had been bitter dislike, if not hatred, now there should be peace. Whereas there had been separation now, there should be a close relationship. Christ's death and resurrection have destroyed the barrier and hostility and have drawn Jew and Gentile together in a new peace. And the apostle goes on, having reconciled Jews to Gentiles through the cross, through him, we both have access to the Father. Let me read on. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. This would have been profoundly encouraging to the Gentile Christians in Ephesus at the time. <clears throat> You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. Two weeks ago, as I said, we looked at the first half of this chapter in which we learned that we, we who were once dead in trespasses in sins have now been made alive. It's very dramatic language, and because we've heard it perhaps many, many times since we were children, we, we tend to lose sight of the drama of what is going on. Made alive because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And in this second half of the chapter this morning, we learn that we who were once separated have now been united. Without hope. That's one of the descriptions that Paul gave, which I read a few moments ago. What a terrible situation. I've conducted many, many funerals. Some of them have been almost joyful occasions when a Christian family is saying goodbye to a, a Christian relative and there is joy through the tears. 
but I've also conducted some which have been heart-rendingly desperate. I remember some years ago in Worthing conducting the family of a young mother and present at the funeral were her husband and that their two young teenage boys. I don't think I ever in 14 years of conducting funerals ever saw anywhere where there was such an absolute devastating hollowness. They had no hope. All of us here this morning have lost a relative or close friend. And where our friends have gone to be with Christ, yes, we miss them. My own sister, my elder sister, lost her youngest child who left behind a husband and two children at the beginning of this year. Nikki died of cancer. My sister's next child, a boy who is married with five grown-up children, he's living with terminal cancer. And I know the devastation that is in my sister at this moment. Rachel, like the rest of father's children, all came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And yet even so, there's a devastation. But for the non-Christian, no hope. In the opening verses of his gospel, the Apostle John wrote this. He came to that which was his own, that's the Jew. But his own did not receive him, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And if you're in church this Christmas time, you will hear that reading again. Now, the Apostle John was writing of times before the cross. Whereas St. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, is looking back to the completed work of Christ on the cross, so he adds, through the blood of Christ. We all may be Gentiles, but there is no more eloquent way of describing our unconverted years as we looked at two weeks ago. No hope beyond this life and no hope in it. We knew that God existed, but in our hearts we fostered no hope of ever finding him. Death for some was a blank finality. That's what life without Christ offers us. What a statement, being without Christ and without God in the world. I grew up in Eastbourne. You're supposed to clap at that, uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and many, many, many hundreds of times, often with my older brother, I would walk out on Beachy Head, 
It was the local sort of tourist attraction. And the white cliffs going on all the way along the, that part of the Sussex coastline were, were magnificent. And all the way along there was a beaten out trail um, where people walked. Sometimes it got awfully close. And then it goes down the slope a little bit, so the cliff, which had been 600 foot high, is now only about 250 foot high. And then it climbs again to a lighthouse which is on the top of a hill called Bell Toot, or Beautiful Head. And in that sort of little dip space, the road went very, very close to the cliff. And there was a story recorded in the Eastbourne newspaper of a, a mother and her three children all having a picnic at that spot close to the cliff edge. And um, the mother suddenly felt very uncomfortable. And her words in the Eastbourne newspaper was that, I don't know why, but I suddenly told the children, get up quick, and they walked away. <coughs> towards the road and away from the, uh, away from the cliff and were horrified to watch the large blanket that they rug that they'd been sitting on and all their picnic go down as there was a cliff fall at that precise moment. The mother said, I haven't a clue why, but our lives were saved that day. There wasn't any testimony of God saved our lives. Maybe he did, I don't know. But living without Christ is like that, a beautiful picnic. We might be having a fabulous time, little knowing that below us there is terrible potential danger. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Five times in this chapter, Paul uses the name in Christ. Without God in the world and now in Christ, you who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You've got a new citizenship. You've become members of a new family, a family without division. <coughs> For through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by the one Spirit. So what can you and I compare our new citizenship in the kingdom of heaven? Our citizenship was purchased for us through the death of the Son of God. Only Jesus could atone for our sin, for our rejection of God and seeking to run our own lives. Do you remember the hymn, There Was No Other Good Enough to Pay the Price for Sin? He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. There is a green hill far away. There is no other passport into heaven, only 
through the death of Jesus, there is no other way to God. The church is made up of two types of people, sinners and forgiven sinners. Timothy Keller, an American pastor, teacher, and author of over 20 books on the Christian life, was in London earlier this year, I read, and he was speaking and answering questions. And one questioner asked him, why can't I die for my own sins? Why did it need Jesus' death to get my sins forgiven? Keller's reply was, only Jesus lived without sin. You and I were at one stage without hope, without God in the world. But now, Paul says, only Jesus lived without sin. And as the spotless son of God, his was the only punishment that could take away God's wrath from falling on me. Can you just look up way above my head and on the right-hand side? High up. Can you see the paint peeling off? Can you see that? Well, I understand um, that the parochial church council have agreed to various renovations to make good the roof so that damp is kept from coming in and also it's going to be redecorated this whole inside of the church anyone on the PCC here is that right yes good and it's going to cost a lot of money thousands I think rightly tens of thousands of pounds and at the end of it it's going to be gorgeous. I'm sure that we shall have several Sundays, maybe months, I don't know, when there'll be scaffolding inside the church because very few have harms as long enough to get that high. And they won't use just ladders. And therefore it's going to be very inconvenient and we will all know that it's going on. That won't make one slightest bit of difference to the church, which is the body of Christ on its own. But it is a picture, isn't it, of what needs to be done in our lives. Not just once, praise God for the once, but day by day by day by day. And this church will become beautiful. May the people of God who make up the church, for his name's sake, become beautiful too. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save me from wrath and make me pure. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's commands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. 
Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. When I was a young lad, I used to look at older Christians and long to be like them. You know, they were marvelous, these older Christians. They never sinned. They didn't do anything wrong. They loved their wives and looked after their families. And I didn't realize until I became an old man that I would be subject to the same failures all through my life. You and I need to come back to our God and Heavenly Father every single day with the attitude of that hymn. Look it up when you go home, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Because it's only through the precious blood of Christ, or in our more comfortable language, through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you and I can live for God. That's the new identity God has given us. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit have full access into our hearts and minds that we may indeed live humbly before you, our God. Amen.